How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the book of James. And we are up to James chapter 4. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens. Grab your tea, grab your coffee, grab your snacks, whatever it is you're having. Come join us at the table as we sit down to study the Word of God. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. If it's not related to the topic at hand, though, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast, as we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing as much as we can. But yeah, anyways, uh, well, again, we're going to be uh, going through James here using the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study, which are interpretation, application, and demonstration. That's the what, the how, and the why of Scripture. Interpretation, there is only one interpretation of the Word of God, what it says, what it means. So we read over it to get an idea of the, of the narrative, what's being said, what's going on, the base narrative of the text, and then we back up and go again through it slowly. This is the difference between reading and studying. We go again through it slowly, taking a look at how it's being said, uh, how it's being presented, the specific words and the meanings of the words, and how can I pair what I'm reading with other aspects of the Word of God. This is application. There are multiple applications of the Word of God, only one interpretation, and application is not interpretation. And so we see that there are multiple applications that can be applied mentally, physically, spiritually, circumstantially, whatever. And uh, and it can help us and guide us and give us instructions on this. So again, this gives us a deeper understanding, deeper grasp, uh, deeper comprehensions of the Word of God. Again, the difference between reading and studying. Now, why are we doing this? For personal demonstration. So we can go live it, speak it, think it, do it. To be able to go and uh, show others uh, what great things the Lord has shown us. And uh, to be able to learn that much more on how to live the Word of God. So again, the what, the how, the why, interpretation, application, demonstration, the Berean method of Acts 17, verse 11. And these were, which were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with a readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. So this is what we're going to do here today. Again, using the three points and working our way through James 4. So I hope the you're encouraged by these studies and again if you appreciate these studies please give us a like give us a thumbs up make sure you subscribe hit notification bell icons you know we put up new videos and uh, you always check out all our other videos we've got tons of other goodies and content as well as our website christiancoffeetime.ca but for right now we're going to be working our way through james chapter 4 so grab your Bible, turn to James chapter 4, and starting at verse 1. Time to study the Word of God. Okay. Alright, so working our way through James, we see that uh, there, there's a lot of misunderstandings of this text as we've gone over these especially the whole uh chapter two 
about the faith that works is dead. Many people, again, thinking that the passages here in James are salvific and they apply to our salvation or affect our salvation in some way, like, well, if you're not maintaining works and fruit or whatever, uh, that you can lose your salvation or that somehow, some form, even remotely, that your salvation is hinged upon your deeds. This is complete nonsense. But as we see that James, he's writing to Christians, he's writing to brethren, he's writing to the churches, to brethren, and instructing them in discipleship, in Christ-likeness, and correcting their, the manifestation of works and encouraging the manifestation of works for the purpose of promotion of the faith, not maintenance of salvation. So as we uh, going through here, we see... Again, the principles of pure religion undefiled. And we see in following the Lord and the love of the Lord, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we see here the instruction, the exhortation. And now we see in chapter 4, verse 1, as James is now touching on some issues, that uh, there is quite a uh, a battle, uh, a battle of uh, faith, a battle of religion and stuff uh, where some people are getting puffed up as we see this uh, was addressed in chapter 3 about the danger of getting puffed up uh, where the pharisaical type of, uh, approach and pharisaical type religion creeps in where you start looking down your nose at others the exaltation of others over others we see as he talks about if someone comes in uh, referencing the parable of jesus uh, you see a man come in and uh, you get you give uh, him the high seat it's favoritism we see favoritism but with god there's no partiality with god everyone is equal and we went over that in great detail so we're coming down this a bit more in chapter 4 verse 1 from whence come wars and fightings among you come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members and we see this can happen uh, where if we get so caught up in ourselves, so caught up in, in religion, so caught up in the, in the faith and this kind of stuff, that uh, we develop this cliqueism, clanism, this warring attitude that so-and-so is not like me or, or is uh, getting in my way. And we start looking at ourselves a little too much, start focusing on ourselves, our ways we're not really focusing on what the Lord says and the fairness of the Lord. We got to be careful because the enemy can get in the mind and create. It creates the apathies, creates the personal desires, the personal lusts of what I want to do, what I want to accomplish, how I want it to go about, how I believe the message should be preached, how I believe the denomination should be held, how I believe the church uh, uh, should be ordered. And we start having all these differing ideas and we're not working together in the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So, as he says, the wars and fighting among you, our own personal crusades, so to speak, our own personal crusades, our own personal religious crusades, where, where I believe this is how revival should go, how the ministry should run and all these things. Wars and fightings among us it can come in so many different ways. And this is just as applicable to us as it was over 2,000 years ago. As he says here, come, uh, come they not hence even of your own lusts. Of our own lusts. See, like the uh, one uh, 
poem I wrote. Uh, I just want to share this. I'm not sure if I already shared this one. I'll share it again. I think I might have, but I don't remember. <laughs> Pretend you haven't heard it. Okay, uh, Ballad of the Dull King. Apathy, the lukewarm king, master of all disgrace. For when it rules the hearts of men, all passion and love it will replace. Apathy, the mind killer, warrior king, the uninspired, slayer of the faith of thousands, and the cause of churches mired. Apathy's destruction's not forced, for it's chosen to sit enthroned. Mankind crafts its dull palace when God's word is overthrown. Passion dies, Christ is lost, the pages gather dust. For earthly joys and busyness have sealed the heart in rust. Apathy, the faith killer, destroyer of revivals, fogs the eyes from solid land, will seek your faith to defile. For with bland eyes he'll behold you, with pathetic grip he steers. A heart-cold and shriveled focus, passionless he draws near. Crowned in lackluster, never to force a fight, he conquers in bland attrition, the king of distraction's spite. Apathy, the king of dumb anguish, of God is despised, the spirit of listless fervor, hated yet made mine. I choose this king over me, I opened the gates and welcomed in, when Christ no longer rejoiced me, instead of Christ I gave over to sin. This ruler of uninspired, elected by dull saints, no threat to hell they possess, for he's weakened all the ranks. Instead of prayer and fasting, instead of seeking heaven's place, all you must do is nothing, and apathy will reign in your place. Apathy, as we see when we go along, now we think of apathy, you know, not really wanting to do much for the Lord. Well, that's only one aspect of apathy. You see, there's apathy of the faith, apathy of the faith as, as a whole in general. And then we see apathy of, not, not of the faith, so to speak, but apathy of the Lord's specific instruction of how it should come about. And we take up the church. We take up the church. We take up, uh, take up the, the fervor in ourselves that we are the convictors. We are the judges. We are the rulers. We are the ones that call the shots. It, it all comes down to me. And so it's ap apathy towards the Lord's specific di directed instruction. You see what I mean? And when, we, when this happens, we see, uh, we forget. We forget the, the ways of the Lord. We forget christ-likeness and it's more of how i feel how i think christ went about it and this is where the whole i believe i think i feel i want it comes in but uh, it comes down to grace and if we forget the grace of god we forget how we should treat others and this is where as it says uh, our of our own lusts wars and rumors of wars in the churches start rising up and we start the backbiting and everything else and tearing down each other and we forget the grace of god we forget the grace of god so from whence come wars and fightings among you how do wars and fightings in churches start how do they start by forgetting the love of christ by forgetting the love of the lord the grace of the lord by forgetting the grace of the lord so when it becomes a 
a church of religion and not a congregation, a church of, uh, of faith and grace, we're going to have a lot of problems. Where, it be, where what becomes our focus, our drive, is the construct of religiosity. The construct of religiosity. And this is what James is addressing all throughout the book of James. The difference between saying you have faith and proving it. So how can we prove we have faith? Well, first we have to see what faith is. What is faith? Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's believing trust. So what are you believing in? What do you have trust in? A lot of people have the trust in their phylacteries and, and their traditions and their churchianity. And then you have people who have faith alone in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. So as you see, come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members, of your own lusts, of your own desires. So what is it that you truly desire? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to do? What are you getting out of this? What, what do you think the faith is about? Why are you going to church? You need to ask these questions. You need to uh, bring a, uh, a scrutiny upon your faith. And why do you go about and doing what you're doing? You lust and have not. You, you want more. And you're never satisfied with what you have. Sufficiency. You're never satisfied with what you have. And you always want to accomplish more. You want to get bigger, better, more powerful, more notoriety. You want more attention. But you're not getting it. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. And again, as we back up in the, in the text, we see if any men lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God. Who giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not. It will not uh, limit or restrict it. But it'll just pour it out. So we're, they're asking in the wrong ways, in the wrong form, of the wrong people. Ye lust and have not. You kill. Now, were they actually murdering each other? I, I personally don't believe so. I think this is more in um, symbolic language talking about killing one another's faith because the whole context down through has been faith. I could be wrong. Show me if I'm wrong here. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You're killing others' faith like the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were killing other people's faith. As Jesus says, you're closing up the gates of heaven and making people uh, uh, twofold children of hell. Uh, so you say you love God, but in works you dishonor him. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. And have not. You kill and desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because he asked not. They're not seeking it in the right way. Not going about it in the right way. They say they have faith. They build the buildings and go through the traditions and they have the ordinances and doing all the stuff, yet they have no power of God with them. They they say a lot. They say a lot, but they have no power of God with them. Because he has not. Ye ask and receive not. And they do even ask of the Lord. And in this state of their bickerings and fightings and hypocrisy and two-facedness and their bickering and their godlessness, they, they're praying and asking and asking the Lord to bless them and help them and empower them and show them and work with them. But they receive not. Because ye ask amiss. 
that ye may consume it upon your lusts. That, that, that they're asking the Lord to bless their personal crusades. You know, I've thought of this. You know, that the the craziness of this, that uh, you, you go go back in time, you see people on uh, others uh, on each side of battles or whatever, and that claim to love God and they're praying that the Lord would give them strength to be able to destroy each other. I was saying, I've thought about that quite often and how absolutely nonsensical that is, how, how ignorant, how ignorant of the ways of the Lord that those people are. That, uh, that uh, how ignorant you must be that in a state of such high relo- uh, religiosity and churchianity here that they, uh, they have their own personal lusting desires of, of controlling the church and controlling the faith and maintaining their own ways. And they're asking the Lord to bless their prideful ordinances. That, yes, people are like that today. Many, many people are like that today asking amiss and then they wonder why god isn't with them and then they get more bitter more angry more downcast and and more malevolent in their religiosity because they're seeing that god is ignoring them and that's uh, it's annoying them and bugging them they ask amiss that they may consume it upon their lusts to look at this look at the words here that ye may consume it they want to devour the whole thing they want it all for themselves it's all about them. It's all about them. Personality wars. Personality battles. Personality churches. It's all about them. But they're not listening to the word of God. They're not listening to Christ. They're not listening to the ways of the Lord. As you see, all throughout it, we see is, is I must decrease. He must increase. It's not about me at all. But, and also... As Pastor Paul says quite often, the one thing he likes to say is, uh, you know, God is able to use people that I even disagree with. Now, just stick that in your theological pipe and smoke it for a moment. That God is able to use people that you don't agree with. God is able to use people that I don't agree with. How could that possibly be? (laughs) I wonder. Well, that's because maybe the faith isn't hinged upon us in any way, shape, or form. That none of us, none of us, are sinless, holy, none of us are the Savior, none of us are God, none of us are the the instruments of God's power, that it's all of the Lord. It's not me. It wasn't Moses, it was God. It wasn't Moses' staff, it was God. It wasn't Aaron, it was God. It's all it's all of the Lord. The Lord just chooses us, which of us to use for his purpose at times, but that doesn't mean that I'm more special than you. Like, I don't know if you heard my message from this last uh, from this past Sunday about John the Baptist. Again, understanding that he was just a man. The greatest of all the prophets, yet just a man. A sinful man, a man uh, that no different, a person no different than you or I. Oh, but he was called of God, yeah, to do a work. 
He literally could call anyone. He could use anyone. That doesn't make John higher than us, greater than us. It's just that, that the, uh, the abilities that the Lord was able to use through him were great. But John himself was just a sinful man like you and I. Moses was just a man like you and I. Deborah, Mary, and Martha were just women, uh, just people. That it's God's power, it's all of him. But when we miss the focus and we make it about ourselves, we get focused on ourselves. We, we're, we're missing the whole purpose of church. The point of church. You see, it's not an army of one. That in God's army, he is the general. He, he is the ruler. He's the king. He's the emperor. We're all soldiers. You see, we have a tendency sometimes, and we see this a lot in other different forms of uh, organized religion. You see, it happens a lot in certain other denominations and churches where they, they then install captains and sergeants and lieutenants and all the rest of that in God's army. But when we're studying the word of God, such ranks don't exist. That in the eyes of the Lord, we're all equal. We're all equal. And nobody is more powerful or better than anyone else. And anyone who would say otherwise is completely deluded. And we have a tendency to treat certain individuals like this. And with this self-involved ranking, we get lusts where I want to be a captain of God's army and to be able to rule over Lord over others. And some people, this really sticks in, in, in their craw and they want this. And they push this and they mistreat others, stepping on others' necks and, and uh, pushing others down and mistreating others and they lording over. As you see, James is talking about this, about this issue of offending others and lording over others. Ought such a thing not so to be. As you see, out of the same mouth uh, produces both blessings and cursings as well. And we mistreat each other, forgetting what grace is, forgetting what the faith is supposed to be about. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not from your lusts? So we got to explore that. In a organized church setting, what lusts would you presume to think this could possibly be? What kind of lusts could come up in the Christian faith that could get people's attention and cause them to start fighting and warring with other saints? Well, legalisms, hypocrisies, self-declared holiness, self-declared sinlessness of our own lusts that, that, uh, that I want to be like Moses and Elijah and them, and I want to ha have high positions. And we, we set up these goals and plans and we become deluded with our own ideologies, with our own lusts within the faith and, and, and our strivings for our own glory in the Lord, so to speak. We're stepping on the throats and the heads of others. 
where individuals will look down at other people because, well, they're not dressing up like, like we are. Well, they're eating and drinking things that I don't eat and drink. And, and you know, that whole hip, hypocritical, legalistic nonsense comes in. And in comes the wars and rumors of wars within the faith, within the church. Gossipings and backbitings and tearing down and even killing other people's faith. You ask, and you pray, and you don't receive, and then we see depressions and anger and frustrations, things come in, because, well, the whole faith has been skewed. The whole faith has been skewed, and we've taken it from its, its proper place of simplicity, of simple worship and simple praise of the mighty God. The, the Lord desires simplicity, just as salvation is simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what scripture says. That it's not by works, righteous works, or law keeping this. That it's by grace through faith, by belief alone in the Lord God Jesus Christ alone. And then the rest of the faith is just as simple. Hearing it out is just as simple. Trusting in Christ as our sufficiency. But we complicate it. We complicate it. Because, well... As we, we know that, that that's what the Word of God says, that it, it's simple, yet we desire more complicatedness. We desire some kind of mystic structure. We want this a form of self-mysticism. Where I can achieve some kind of level, some kind of thing. I can I can attain to some special holy level. You know, like the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church uh, sets up with their, their all of their so-called mock priests and everything else. And, the, and uh, we look at that and we desire something like that, similar to that even within the faith. Well, Catholic and Orthodox are false, but we create our own structure of self-proclaimed priests, self-proclaimed prophets, self-proclaimed apostles, self-proclaimed holy men. And then we, we bicker and bite and devour and fight and war trying to attain such levels. You know what I'm talking about? You understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm talking about? But look, look what James says. Now, James, now keep in mind that James is talking to brethren. James is talking to Christians, people who are already saved. And he's talking about charity and Christian behavior for the purpose of promotion of the faith, not maintenance of salvation. Now, look what James says to the brethren. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. James calls fellow brethren adulterers and adulteresses well okay <laughs> what context is james talking about this though as he's talking about as he loving the ways of the world Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is, is the enemy of God. So these individuals within the faith, within the churches, who are angling after this self-exaltation and, and, and harming and damaging and, and hurting the faith, James calls them religious whores. You are whoring after 
the structures of other religions, the structures of world's religiosity. And you're dragging the world's structure, the world's ways of religion into the faith, complicating the faith and messing it up. And you're, you're trying to create these worldly structures within the faith. You're calling yourself the bride of Christ, but you're having affairs with the enemy. You're having affairs with other religions, with other religious structures and ways. That's quite harsh. That's really harsh here. But yet it's true. This is spiritually, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. When we try to create our own personal religious structure and then impose this, impose this on others. That's religious, religious whoredom. Now, if you have a system that you go about that works for you and and uh, biblically speaking that doesn't contradict the faith but you know personal legalisms as i call it where, where we know our own personal weaknesses our own personal strengths and we know what we struggle with so we set up checks and balances for ourselves to help ourselves in in, a, in fighting against sin and walking with the lord but if we take our own personal set of, of religion, our own personal religion, and then impose this, impose this on others and demand that others walk the same as we do, or we use our system to lord over others saying that because I do this and you don't, I'm better. That's what James is getting at. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know you know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Well, what is this friendship with the world? Pride. Religious pride. Religious pride. I'm just going to leave that there just for a moment. I have degrees and diplomas. I have a master's of theology. Well, I'm a pastor. I'm a deacon. I'm a priest. I'm a this. And I haven't sinned for 30 years. I don't drink. I don't eat. I don't smoke. I don't dance. I don't do this. I don't do that. I keep this. I keep this feast. I don't take part in that holiday. And on and on and on and on it goes and tearing down and pulling down and causing all these issues within the faith that's nothing but religious adulterers and religious adulteresses that that is absolutely contrary to the character of god that is so far from christ likeness it's not funny So we see, whoever therefore is a friend of the world, of the ways of the world, who's imposing this religious pride and arrogance and, and, and such upon the faith and is tearing down, sowing discord amongst the brethren, one of the things that God hates, you have more in line as an enemy of God 
then you are a friend of God. That you are actually hindering the work. You're hindering the work. You're putting stumbling blocks in the road. You're not helping the growth of the church. You're tearing it down. You're not helping to bring in revival. You're staying it. You're not building up faith. You're tearing it down. You're not strengthening the brethren. You're hindering them. Pride, arrogance, self-proclaimed audacity hinders the faith. And you're having an affair with the characteristics of the world. And you're not being a faithful bride of Christ. That's what James is saying here. That's what James is saying. Because you got to look at who he's talking to. Who he's talking to. What he's talking about. The context here is it going all down through his discipleship and Christ-likeness. Discipleship and Christ-likeness. I was thinking about this earlier as I was getting ready. As you know, I put on a collared shirt and wear a tie. Because, you know, it's just what you're supposed to do. Uh, or kind of thing. But anyways, but uh, think about you know, how I... I I don't like wearing ties because I don't like the restrictedness of it, but I do like the way they look. And I got thinking about this kind of thing that we're talking about, you know, some people really get up in, in arms about, you know, you got to look the part and all this stuff. Okay, sure. But and the, I was thinking, you know, God really doesn't care about our phylacteries. Because whether it's the robes of Solomon or the camel skin of John the Baptist, God couldn't care less. It's the love of the heart. It's the attitude of the heart. It's the faithfulness to Christ. It's the faithfulness to the Lord is what the Lord looks at. Judge not after the outward appearance. Judge not after the outward appearance. But this is what we must learn. And in the words, and again, it just I'm always repeating because it's so apropos, the words of the great preacher Alistair Begg. We must keep preaching the cross to ourselves. We must keep preaching the cross to ourselves. Because if we don't do that, if we don't keep keep ourselves in, in remembrance of the gospel, in remembrance of why we're here, we're going to forget our purpose. We're going to forget our purpose. And I'd like to share one more. Something I wrote called Remembrance. The moment we forget how we dwelt in sin's place, how we strayed from God's righteousness and spat in his face. How we regularly wander from the holiness of the Lord. How we daily grieve the Spirit's guidance by ignoring his word. When we forget even our testimony of our old sin's taste, we will no longer look or treat others with God's forgiving grace. Remembering where we came from. Remembering what we are. And what I always like to try to do for my own personal check and balance is I, I'm obsessed with Romans chapter 7. And I, I am so, so thankful, so thankful that the Lord inspired Paul to write Romans chapter 7. I needed it. I, I look at it that the Lord saw me and he, he had Paul write that for me. 
It's just that's how much I apply it to myself. Is it's so true, and it, and it it kills all pride. It kills all pride when you when you honestly read through Romans seven and you put yourself in the picture. Like, who do we think we are to think ourselves better than anyone else? Who do we think we are to dare get in the way of others? To to think that I that I can have such audacity to to control and call the shots of other saints. That is the height of arrogance. That is so beyond Christ likeness. And, uh, and to skip ahead here, just go down here in the context, is see, we're to humble ourselves. And you can't humble yourself if you're exalting yourself. If you are still in some way, shape, or form, even remotely, Holding yourself up as special in some way, shape, or form. We're not special. I'm not special. You're not special. None of us are special. We were enemies of God, children of the devil, heirs of hell, deserving the wrath of God, eternity in the lake of fire for our sin and fighting against the Lord and our stubborn demonic rebellion against the Lord. We deserve judgment. That's what we deserve. That's what we are. And then he saved us by grace. Not because he owed us anything, but because he just mercifully wanted to. We are trophies of God's grace. That's it. Examples of God's grace. That's it. I'm not special. You're not special. And how dare Anyone who calls themselves a Christian, lord themselves in any way, shape, or form, even remotely over others. To do so is being a religious adulterer. That's what James is getting at. He's trying to kill pride and trying to bring this up into our remembrance and call us to the remembrance of Christ-like humility. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Jesus said, the least among you is the greatest in heaven. Jesus said to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus put on, uh, put, put on the servant's clothes and then washed the disciples' dirty, smelly feet to show, how, show humility, to show that, that, that service to one another. That death to pride. And then he says, do as I've done. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? God is a, a jealous God. And God wants the pedestal all to himself. God wants all the glory. He deserves it. We don't. We've accomplished nothing. And if any man thinketh he knoweth anything, he does not yet know as he ought to know. We did not build the construct of the faith. The building doesn't belong to us. Nor the stained glass or the pews or the hymnals. 
All things are by the power of God. There is no power but of God. And the moment we think, think to ourselves, look what I've accomplished, look what we've built, that's the Tower of Babel, not a church. Verse 6, but he giveth more grace, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. We see the mercy and the long-suffering of the Lord, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud. God resists the prideful. God resists the prideful. Pride is a faith killer. Pride is a church killer. Pride is apathy to Christ-likeness. Pride is apathy to Christ-likeness. And if we think that we know Christ, if we think we're faithful to the Lord, well, this is where Scripture says to examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Now, what is the faith? Is the faith the, the faith of your mind, of what you think, what you believe, what I believe the faith is, or a faith what God says it is? You look at the faith, you look at the faith as Christ lived it. It's not my faith. It's not your faith. It's the faith of Christ. It's what he taught us how to believe, what to believe, what to follow, what to hold, what to confess. It's all of him. It's not my faith, your faith. It's his. We're justified by the faith of Christ. By the faith of Christ, as scripture says. It's not our belief. You would not have believed if he had not enlightened you to the truth. You got to give him all praise. He's the one that drew us. He's the one that convicted us. He's the one that enlightened us. He's the one that taught us. He's the one that showed us. Then he's the one that did all the work. He did all the calling. He did all the convicting. He does it all. And then we say, yes, Lord, that's true. He seals us. He holds us. He teaches us. How dare we take any of it back to ourselves? How dare any of us think that any of us are better than anyone else? Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? What is this friendship that James is talking about in James chapter 4? What is this? Enmity, the enemy, the, the workings of the, of the ways of the enemy. It's friendship with pride. Self-exaltation, this Phariseeism. This Phariseeism. I have personally experienced it. I've personally experienced it a, a, a number of times from certain individuals who held themselves as pastors, teachers, leaders of the faith. Where they said, how dare you to me? Because when I asked them a question or whatever, and they, do you not know who I am? That whole thing. I have heard that a number of times. Do you not know who I am? How dare you? You're full of pride. You're full of pride. Have more, more in line with the ways of the enemies of God than you do of any form of Christ-likeness. To be a friend of the ways of the world, of pride, self-exaltation, self-empowerment, 
thinking yourself special. God owes you or that you are the hand of God. Any of this kind of nonsense. Or that you are holy and above others. You are so deluded. Do you not think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth envy, and God is a jealous God, and God is known by the judgment which he executes? God resists the proud. God resists pride. So you see, context here, the context of James chapter 4 is pride. And pride getting in the church. Pride getting in the church. Pride getting in the minds and the hearts of self-proclaimed Christians. You say you have faith, prove it. God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Now look at the language here of James chapter 4, verse 7. Have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4, verse 7. Look at this. Now we were just, as we were just seeing, the context here is pride, right? Pride. And he says, God resists the proud. Context is pride. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. As Lucifer is the king of pride. He's the leader of all pride. He is the origin of self-arrogance self-deluded pride as he was filled with pride and he said within his heart i will ascend to the throne i will be like god i will walk amongst the the the, the fire and i will ascend to the throne i will be like god well this gets in our hearts sometimes this gets in our hearts sometimes and we do damage to the faith because we're not submitting to humility. Now, humility is not self-degradation. Humility is not self-degradation. Don't get me wrong. Now, I know I talked about, you know, realizing who we are, we're the, we were the enemies of God and deserving all wrath and judgment. Sure, that, that, that's, that's, that's reality. And I'm no longer in danger of the judgment. I'm no longer in danger of the wrath. I cannot be judged for my sins. All this, that all my, all, it's all been dealt with at the cross. I am born again saved. I'm going to go be, be with the Lord when I die. I am, I am truly born again saved by the blood of Christ, by the mercy of God. Nothing of me, all of him. But God can resist me. God can resist you. If we become prideful. Now, what is this resisting? In what context? What are we talking about? What is James about? What has it been about? Discipleship and Christ-likeness. Usage of God. God will refuse to use you. God will refuse to use you because you are unusable. You are an example of pride, not faith, an example of arrogance, not humility, an example of worldliness, not godliness. You think you're godly, 
Well, your God is of your own imagination because your God is pride. And this happens to born-again Christians. It happened to Peter. It happened to Peter. Or during the early church, you now remember, when he was with the Gentiles, he ate and drank and fellowship with the Gentiles. But when the Jews came, he separated himself and all this hypocritical legalism and then ignored the Gentiles and he practiced the ways of Jews. And then Paul had to call him out told him off because he's being a, a hypocrite and prideful and arrogant and all this hey it happened to peter you don't think it can happen to you it happens to the best of us sometimes if i dare say it happens to every single last one of us sometimes where we see ourselves better than the prodigal son in the pig pen we're so blinded, so deluded, so arrogant, we don't even see our own pig pen that we're covered in the mud of. We're standing in our own pig pen and pig manure, standing in our own pig pen, pointing the finger at another pig pen and mocking that pig pen, saying how we're better than them. We need to realize our own weaknesses. Realize our, our, our own frailty. And that there's no power, no power but of God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. This devil of pride and arrogance, self-exaltation, this devil of deluded arrogance, this devil of self-proclaimed religiosity, this self-proclaimed holiness, this devil of self-proclaimed sinlessness, this devil of, of self-proclaimed exaltation. It's a devil, not the Spirit of God. That's a devil that's, that's masquerading as the Spirit of God, deluding you, whispering your mind, is leading you astray. It's a call of a siren that, that's trying to lead you off to the destruction of your faith. That if the devil can't have your soul, he's going to have your faith. If he can't have your soul, he's going to have your joy. If he can't have your soul, he's going to... The enemy comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your usage of God. So that when the world looks at you, they laugh. And they ignore. And they're not going to listen because there's nothing in you to draw them because God's not working with you because God's resisting you. Can God resist an entire church? Yep. Oh, yeah. That church goes the way of arrogance and pride and self-exaltation and all this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. God's not going to use that church. No matter how they sing, no matter how they pray, no matter what they do, until they get themselves right with the Lord, the Lord's not going to use them. Pride is a church killer. Pride is a faith killer. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And the context you see here is in humility of Christ-like humility. If my people, which are called by my name, should humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Turn from their wicked ways. My people, turn from their wicked ways. Can Christians be wicked? You, you answer in the comments. If you're listening, 
Can Christians be wicked? Born again, saved, bought by the blood of Christ, sealed by the Spirit of God, names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, truly born again, saved people. Can they be wicked? Can they be wicked? What do you think? Can a Christian, a true, blue, born-again Christian, be wicked? Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. More often than not, it happens. It happens. It happens in ways even sometimes we don't even realize. And that's what's terrifying. That's absolutely terrifying, I find. Because when we go to uh, take a Bible, turn to Psalm 19. I believe it's Psalm 19. Psalms 19, verses 12 and 13. Take a look at this. Psalms 19, verses 12 and 13. Because in in a mo this moment, we uh, when we're overcome by pride, see, here's the issue. You know, pride is is like a cult where you don't actually realize you're in a cult. See, a person in a cult doesn't believe that they're in a cult. They make every excuse and everything, and they and they will not admit that they're in a cult. They have to be shown it. They have to come to that realization themselves. The cult mind. Pride is the cult mind. Because you don't realize you're being prideful. You don't realize you're being you're being this way. You don't actually see it. You don't actually notice it. Look at Psalms 19, verses 12 and 13. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. You know the people that, that I have heard it. People who say that they're sinless. Yeah. Right. Sure. They say they're sinless, and they're absolutely dead serious. They don't actually realize that they're being arrogant and prideful, and that they're sinning by holding that and saying that they're actually sinning and the bible talks about here we see in psalms 19 verses 12 and 13 about presumptuous and sins of ignorance that you actually had no idea that it was actually a sin <laughs> in your audacity of thinking that you're sinless and that you are the special of god you're actually sinning How how messed up is that? How absolutely messed up is that? We've got uh, secret faults that you're holding to yourself, you're not admitting to others, and also sins of, of presumption, sins of ignorance, that you even had no idea was actually sinful. Which of us can actually be truly sinless, can actually be holy? <laughs> None. But to think that you're sinless, to think that you're holy, to think that you're special is the height of absolute arrogant, deluded pride. 
This is what James is calling out here. These individuals that are being like this, that they're, they're being so arrogant, so deluded, so messed up. Uh, they, they have the audacity to say, say that they are the righteous of God when they're causing the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. They are being religious adulterers and religious adulteresses exalting themselves over others. When in all reality, according to the word of God, we're, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners saved by grace. And nobody, nobody, nobody is better than anyone else. We talked about it earlier in the previous chapter here about about human equality in the eyes of God that it, that the Lord doesn't restrict his faith from anybody but we we see that he's the atonement for all the sins of the whole world and that everybody's equal in the eyes of God but then we see another context here of chapter 4 of uh, of Christian equality that in the faith in the born again Christian faith nobody is beyond anyone else nobody's better than anyone else in the Christian faith but we're all equal in the eyes of God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Don't submit yourselves to an idea. Don't submit yourselves to, uh, to traditionalism. Don't submit yourselves to denominational distinctives. Don't submit yourself to any other man or woman. Don't submit yourselves to the religious uh, ideologies and philosophies and, and isms and Phariseeism. Re submit yourselves to God and God alone. And when you do that, the closer you get to the Lord, the more despicable you truly see yourself, and the lower you will bow to the Lord, and the more Christ-like you will become. The God of the Bible, not the God of your imagination. Resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you resist pride, you resist this arrogance, you resist this this religious pride and you submit to god and you see yourself for who you truly are what you truly are the enemy will flee this arrogance will flee and you see true christ-like will come in and this gentleness this long-suffering this goodness this faith this meekness will come out out of you will flow the springs of living water when you die to self when you decrease so he can increase the enemy will flee, will run, because he can't get at you. So we see that there must be, as we're talking about these checks and balances of personal uh, restrictions and whatnot to help ourselves because we know our own weaknesses and whatnot, there needs to be personal checks and balances of the mind. Because it's very easy in the moment, stirred up by emotion or whatever else, we're in in the moment we can we can be tempted tempted to pride ourselves over others that's of the devil that is the hiss of the serpent to be mindful of these kinds of things. And we see in verse 8, draw nigh to God. The closer you get to the Lord, the closer you get to the shepherd, the harder and harder and harder it is for the wolves and the serpents, the goats, the wolves, and the rats to get in and, and hiss in our ear. 
Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Context. James is talking to brethren, to Christians. He's talking to the church. He's talking to people who are, who are born again, saved. And James is calling them sinners. You don't see yourself a sinner? You're deluded. I'm a sinner. 100%, hands down. I, Brother Matthew, am a sinner. I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. If you don't see yourself a sinner saved by grace, then you're just a deluded cultist thinking yourself the servant of God. It's so simple. When we truly look at the born-again Christian faith according to the Word of God and the Word of God alone, stripped of all man-made re religiosity, all man-made traditions and churchianity, stripped of all of our ideologies, and we just read the faith on the page, it's simple. It's Christ. It's Christ. It wasn't the disciples' obedience that caused the feeding of the thousands. They were obedient. They served the Lord. It took hours and hours and hours and hours to get all the people to sit in the groups. And, and then, then they would come and go and come and go. And they're carrying the food and dispersing it and helping all the people, making sure they're all fed. And all the thousands and thousands and thousands of people with only 12 disciples would have taken a long, long, long time. But it had nothing to do with the obedience of the disciples. Christ is able regardless how it turned out. The disciples weren't holy because they obeyed. They were holy because they believed. We're not holy because we obey. We're holy because we believed. And it's his holiness, not mine. It's his righteousness, not mine. It's his sanctification, not mine. The moment I think that I must keep and maintain my own sanctification, I'm deluded and prideful and arrogant, and I've robbed from the holiness of God. He is my sufficiency of all things of the faith, nothing of me. It wasn't Elijah that caused a jar of oil to not run out, it was the Lord. And it wasn't the, the widow woman's obedience or Elijah stating it that caused it to be, it was the Lord and the Lord alone. It wasn't Moses' obedience and going to Pharaoh and taking his staff, casting it down, that caused it to become a serpent. It had nothing to do with Moses. God is able of the stones to raise up servants. God could have used anything, done anything, but it, it was God's call. Moses just willfully obeyed and the Lord was able to use him. God didn't resist him. God was able to use him. But the moment I think that I have in myself an ability to keep myself, maintain myself in such a state that God, that God will use me, I'm deluded. See, it's attitude of the heart. 
heart's love of the Lord. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is love of the heart, not the hands. It starts at the heart. See, many people think that to, that to, to develop a love of the heart, it starts at the hands. Well, if you keep yourself, you don't do this, you don't do this. And if you if you keep this special physical ritual of religiosity, of Christian religion, that that will create in you a love of the heart. Nope. That creates a cult mind. Creates a cult mind. That the works and the deeds and the, the order, the system, is a byproduct of love of the heart starts in the heart not the hands for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks you want to fight against pride you start with the heart not the hands you start with the heart not the deeds not the works the heart it's attitude it's love of christ the faith is a person not a system the faith is a person not not churchianity religiosity you see, these, as he says in verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, these religious adulterers had switched it around. They had switched it around. They become deluded. And what the enemy wants to do is switch everything around backwards, which is the actual creed of darkness. A creed of darkness as above, so below. To flip everything upside down, to invert everything, to revert the order, revert the system, to revert salvation. Uh, that, uh, that instead of being by grace, it's by works. That with the enemy, it's always backwards, upside down and backwards. So to resist the devil is to resist the devil's system, to resist the devil's church, re resist the devil's religion, which is all about self. Where you become the center, where God where God focuses on you. It's all about you, and it's all about you maintaining, you keeping, and you, you abstaining. It's your system. It's your holiness, your sanctification. You earn your final salvation. You keep your salvation. That, that in some way, some form, God owes you. That you have to earn God's favor. That's the devil's system. That's the devil's church. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So, what can we then apply to ourselves in this? How, how can we put ourselves in the page here? What's the application? Well, to understand, we see that, yes, James is talking to the churches back then, but this is preserved by God into all generations, that it's just as applicable to us as it was to them. We read this and we and we see this is a letter written to us. To not be so arrogant and prideful to think that it doesn't apply to you. If you're hearing this, if you're reading this passage and you in some way, some form think that this doesn't apply to you, you're deluded and, and this, this is meant for you more than you think, than you could possibly know. Put yourself in here that James is talking to you. That the Spirit of God speaking through James is speaking to you. And let, let, let your response be, Lord, if it's true, show me. If I am guilty, show me. Dear Holy Spirit, if there's anything in my life that goes against you or your word, show me. That this, this would 
well, well up in us a cry of repentance. A cry of a desire for humility. That I want to put to death pride. Lord, show me how to resist the devil. Show me how to walk with you in newness of spirit, newness of mind. How do I submit myself? How can I seek true biblical humility? Because, you know, what keeps coming up in my mind is, is there is a video on Instagram I saw. I've seen it a few times of these monks over in Europe somewhere. These Orthodox monks and they're they're dressed in their special robes and with the little little red capes. They're covered in this Christian symbols and crosses and everything else. And they have the have, have their big cross around their neck and and they think that that this dress and their life and their monasteries is humility. Now I, think about this just for a moment. That these individuals they keep themselves dressed in their their monkish robes they think the monasteries and the robes and and their self-degradation is humility but what is it rather that's not humility humility is not of the hands it doesn't matter if it's the robes of Solomon or the camel skin of John the Baptist. Which did God favor? Whether it was the palace of King David or the tents of Abraham. Which did God favor? Think about it. God couldn't care less about the outward. God couldn't care less about our station. God couldn't care less how much we have in our bank accounts, what we're driving, what we're eating, what we're wearing. He couldn't care less about the outward appearance. He cares about the attitude of the heart. Humility is love of Christ. Or you love Christ more than yourself. You love Christ more than yourself. Because again, going back to these monks, they're trying to earn their salvation. They're, these monks are going to be crying, Lord, Lord. Because they're trying to earn favor. They're trying to earn humility. They're, they're trying to beat themselves down into humility. You can't beat yourself into humility. What kind of nonsense is that? You can't beat yourself into humility. Like, like, the, like the flagellants, they're called. And back in the Middle Ages, there was a, there was a cult group called the Flagellants, where where they uh, of monks, where they would form whips and they would whip each other. They'd actually take turns whipping each other. I'll whip you for a while, then you whip me for a while, and we'll beat each other day after day. We beat each other until we're humble. That's this. That's the system of the world. That's the system of devils. That's devilish humility. This self-destruction, self-degradation, all of this. The, it, the humility of God is of the heart. Not the hands. Not the outward. 
God's not impressed with how many cuts and bruises and welts you give yourself. God's not impressed with the collars and the ties and the suits and the dresses. God's not impressed with how you sing and what you're singing and all of this kind of thing. He's not impressed with the stained glass. He doesn't care about any of that. What God wants is a friend he sits at the table with and has dinner with. That, that you would sit at his feet and listen. Why did Jesus love Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Why were they his best friends? John, whom Jesus loved. Beloved John. Why was he beloved? Abraham was a friend of God. What made him a friend? David had the heart of God. What, what, what gave him the heart of God? How did he have the heart of God? What did he do? Enoch walked with God. How? What did that look like? You see, we, we, we have this tendency by, by, because of our flesh and the influence of the enemy that we think that to, 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 have these levels of friendship and closeness with God, that there must be a physical system, a ritual. We're very ritualistic. We're very ritualistic people, creatures. We, we need a system. We need a ritual. That it's not enough to just believe. It's not enough to just believe. There's got to be more. There's got to be something else. There's got to be something I'm missing. That that just believing is not enough. And that's where the workspace come in. Because that's what they're caught up in. They're caught up in rituals and systems. That's pride. Because a ritual, a system, is you. Achieving. You. Earning. You. Maintaining. You. Keeping. It's about you. So when you turn Christianity into a ritual, Christianity into a system, you've abandoned the simplicity of God and you've become an adulterer of world's religion. God will resist you. God will not use you. No matter how you sing, how you pray, how you cry, God's not going to use you. You can't. Because that's not honoring to him, because that's not what he taught, that's not what he gave, that's not what he showed. Jesus sat in the grassy fields, in fellowship, in simplicity, in simplicity, and resisted the Pharisees. He resisted the religious order, the clans and the cliques and the schisms. He resisted the Sadducees. He resisted the Herodians. He resisted all, all, of, all of that. It's simplicity. It's simplicity. He resisted those that exalted themselves. And he rebuked them. He flipped the tables. And he made the platform equal. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. To cleanse your hands of your own works of your own deeds, of your own pride, of your own rel religiosity, of your own system, of your own rituals. Wash your hands of yourself. 
Wash your hands of yourself. Purify your hearts. See this in verse 8. Purify your heart. How do I purify? This is pureness of God. God's standard of purity. God's standard of purity. Not your standard of religiosity. God's standard of purity that it's all of him. He's pure. We're not. We cannot be. He is. Let us not be double-minded where it's about me and God. The moment you think that it's about you and God, you've messed up. You're prideful. It's not about you. God doesn't need you. He can do the job without you. But it's that you are desiring that he would use you so you humble yourself so that he can. Understanding that it's not your strength, not your words, it's not your deeds, not your achievements, it's not your holiness, not your sinlessness, it's not anything about you that has attracted God to you. Because you don't exist anymore, you're dead. Because pride has no position. Pride has no place. You're an empty vessel. An empty vessel. Dead to pride, dead to the flesh, dead to the world. You're a talking stone. You're an empty vessel because you're full of the Holy Ghost. Because of your fellowship in your because of your love of Christ. Your love of Christ. Because it's all to the glory of the Lord, not the glory of man. Not the glory of, uh, of a religious system. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. Now, let's ask a question. Think about this in just for a moment. What does that look like? Okay, in this context that we're talking about, in this context that we're talking about, what would that look like? Drawing nigh to God. What does that look like? How would you describe that? Drawing nigh to God. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. He'll be able to use you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Do not be double-minded. The same language you see in James chapter 1. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is unstable. When you make it about you and God, you're unstable. Your faith is unstable. Your construct that you're building is unstable and can be knocked down. What is the only stability of the faith? Not me. Not a system. Not traditions. Not churchianity. Christ. Christ is the only stability of the faith. I'm not stable. <laughs> I'm unstable. I shouldn't be saying that too proudly. I'm unstable. I mess up all the time. And if you say that you're stable, well, you just proved you're unstable. God is the only stability. He's the foundation upon which the church is built. He's the foundation. His doctrine is the pillars. And his truth is the roof. That He is the whole construct. He's the whole thing. I have no part of it. We're all built together as lively stones, built together. The Lord is able to use you and he puts you in, a, in your position, in your place, and you thank him for using you. But understanding he doesn't need you, but he's seen that he can depend. 
on your love. Not not dependent. That's that's the wrong word. But it just in that in that kind of way that God can de- that God can depend on you to be faithful. We see a faithfulness to us to His system of simplicity, keeping it simple, keeping it about Him. It's not about the phylactery. It's not about the systems. It's not about the structure. It's not about uh, even me. It's all about Him. We keep that in our minds. And I have a word that I like to use. It's called Christ mindfulness. Christ mindfulness, being mindful of him in everything that you do. Being mindful of him in everything that you do. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. Verse 9, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. He's talking to these ones that have corrupted. But rather they they should be uh, repenting and get themselves right with the Lord, making the crooked way straight. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. One more time. Look at this, verse 10. If you're into underlining, highlighting, or marking your Bible. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Because otherwise, we go to Obadiah. Because this is actually referring to Obadiah. Obadiah chapter 1, verse 4. Back to the clean pages of your Bible. Obadiah chapter 1, verse 4. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle. Everything we've been talking about. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle. And though thou set thy nest among the stars. You see, your construct. That you have built. That you've exalted yourself. And you've built yourself. Your own nest. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. I'll bring you down. I will humble you, the Lord says. You don't want, you don't want the Lord to have to humble you. Humble thyself. Humble thyself. Kill pride. Submit yourselves to the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let another man's mouth praise thee, and not thine own mouth, as Scripture says. Pride. Faith killer. Church killer. Do not be religious adulterers. But humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due season, in due time. It's all about him, not about me. We'll cut it there. We'll cut it short there. So, what's your thoughts on this? Any thoughts, comments, questions, issues, insights on this? I'd love to hear from you. And again, if you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon. So you know when we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We get tons of other goodies and content. And as well, check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all our platforms and goodies and whatnot. Um, as well as free downloadable gospel tracks and e-tracks. And uh, yeah. And we've got a contact us link there as well. If you need to shoot us an email, ask questions. If you're looking for material, please don't hesitate to ask. We're glad to hear from you. So again, we're coming back to this in James. He's talking about discipleship and Christ likeness. And he's he's exhorting and rebuking and, and, and teaching. And he's calling us to this remembrance of how we can get a bit off track. And we can get a bit self-deluded, self-obsessed. 
we start making it about ourselves. We got to be careful. We going, we seem to go over this again and again and again and again and again down through the scriptures. But then you got to ask yourself, why does God repeat this, this message so many times in the word of God? Why does it seem that every Bible study that we go through, it always seems to come around to this again and again and again and again? Maybe, maybe it's because it's what we are so inclined to do, to fall into. Maybe this is because this is the number one issue, number one problem, right? Right. Be careful. Boast not thyself. Boast of the Lord. So with that, we'll wrap it up there. All right, so thank you so much for joining, folks. God bless you. Hope it's been an encouragement, a help, and I uh, hope it's given you something to think about. And like I said, if you appreciate these, give this a like, give us a thumbs up, share this around, get the word out there, and... Thank you so much for joining, folks. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.